Everybody, welcome one and all to another edition of your favorite movie podcast, the always rebellious duo known by our call sign, Force Respected. This is episode 87, Rogue Leader Standing By. I am your host, Sports Guy 515, and on this episode, we will be diving right in and discussing in depth, which means spoilers aplenty, the latest entry into the Star Wars cinematic universe, as I'm calling it now, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Before we we start, allow me to introduce my co-host, more handsome than Diego Luna and a bigger wise ass in K2SO, ladies and gentlemen, Adolfo. Well, that's quite the compliment. Uh, <laughs> yep, how you doing, everybody? Uh, just we're fresh off of seeing this film and uh, ready to talk about it. Uh, ready to talk about Rogue One. Yes, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Now, uh, um, when I did my written review for this film. Uh, one of the my my first sentence was basically that you know, at my age, it's I I find it interesting that at my age I never fail, never fail to get excited for yet another Star Wars movie. But I did notice though that maybe the anticipation for this one wasn't as great as it was last year for Force Awakens, and which is understandable because I mean Force Awakens was the first Star Wars film in like what ten years I think at this point, so. We can understand like why that one was so highly anticipated, especially when you thought there was gonna be no more Star Wars movies after uh, Revenge of the Sith. But I noticed that this one, like, I mean, there was hype, but it wasn't uh it wasn't wasn't as big, in my opinion. Like, did you notice that as well? Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's not like a main continuity storyline, even though it kind of, even though it actually is, but it doesn't star. It doesn't start Luke or Anakin or Obi-Wan or Princess Leia or uh, any of the – or Han Solo or any of the core characters. It's like it, it, the whole story is a, based on an entirely new set of characters. Now, their actions affect what happens to the other characters later in those movies. And even, the, and even though Darth Vader is in this film, he's a cameo. I mean at, the, at, the, at, best, yeah. at best he's a cameo. So uh, it, the so I think that is why uh, there wasn't as much anticipation. Now uh, the movie is doing very well. It, it's it's been in release uh, at, as, as 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 we record this less than a week, and it's already at three hundred some million worldwide. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> it, it will do very well, even though the hype wasn't there. Uh, again, I think kind of like what you said, the hype has a lot, had a lot to do with the. Um, 
with uh, Force Awakens because it was the first Star Wars movie in 10 years. And they continued the story, they continued the saga after Return of the Jedi. Whereas this is kind of this this new spinoff. And it's like nobody kind of knew where – I mean certainly the, the Disney hype machine was in, it was in, was in full effect. But uh, as far as everyone else talking about it, it wasn't – they were still not quite sure what to think of it. Right, exactly, and I think that also helped the uh, like the re- overall reception for it too. Because I mean, I'm, I love this film. I mean, it's, it's obviously not perfect. We're gonna get into like you know some of the problems with it, but I mean, I love this movie, you know. And I think that a lot of people are coming away from Rogue One with very, very high praise. You know, it, it's funny because I mean, yeah, I think Force Awakens right now currently sits like at like ninety, ninety-one percent Rotten Tomatoes. Well, this one's at, like, about 85, 83, I think, last time I checked. But it seems that, like, as far as just audience, they're really... I haven't really seen a lot of people hate on Rogue One. I don't know if you have, but, like, from the comment threads that I've read, like, since I've saw, I've seen it, I've seen pretty much nothing but praise, whereas Force Awakens, like, the first thing you started reading, like, oh, it's a rehash of A New Hope, it was boring, it was this, you know? So, I, I to me, I felt like maybe Force Awakens divided more fans than this one did. Uh, well, I mean, you always have your contrarians. You always have the people that are going to be like, that are going to just uh, crap on a product just because they they want to be that guy. They you know they, they want to be the troll. Um, but you know, I, I have seen some you know criticisms like where it's like, oh, it was boring, or oh, it was this, or it was that. And I once you filter the kind of like trolls out that you know don't have legitimate criticisms, they're just there to like kind of stir the pot and make Star Wars fans angry. Once you filter those guys out, uh, it's very few and far between the actual like uh, hard hard criticism of the film. I, I think there is criticism to be made of the film, and we can get into that when we get into the main review. But um, uh, I, I don't think it is a perfect film. Um, but it. it it is a very enjoyable film and a very – I mean I would still put it underneath the original trilogy and Force Awakens as far as quality goes. But it is it is miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles ahead of the prequels. So uh, it, it's a very enjoyable film and, um, you know, uh, you know, I haven't – to your point, yeah, I have not seen a lot of um, legitimate criticism against it. Right, exactly. There has been some. There has been some, but not not a lot. Right, exactly. Um, so what I kind of want to do right now, I kind of want to get into like the meat and potatoes of uh, of the film. So basically, for those who are unaware, if you've been living under a rock for the last year or so, so Rogue One tells the story of that very first paragraph in the opening crawl of the original Star Wars movie, A New Hope, um, where you find out that the rebels have stolen the plans for the Death Star. And this movie tells the story of how those rebels stole the plans for the Death Star. Um, the uh, the opening scene of actually of, of Rogue One. Now I'm gonna I want to use this because I want to kind of get into the whole uh, to Catalyst a little bit because I, I haven't finished reading Catalyst. I have about uh, maybe about an hour left on that story. But what I want to talk about as far as the beginning of the film is the beginning with uh, when they discover uh, Galen Erso. I forgot on what planet it is, but like basically Galen Erso is hiding his family there. Like he's pretending to be like a farmer or something. He's hiding in this little hut on this planet, and eventually he gets found by director Orson Krennic. By the way, Galen Erso is played by Matt Michelson, great actor. You no, know, we saw him this year already in um, 
in a Doctor Strange as Kaecilius. Um, and you have uh, Orson Krennic and his Death Troopers who discover him. Orson Krennic played by the great Ben Mendelsohn, great, great actor. Um, and basically they are looking for Galen Erso because he has to finish his work on the Death Star. Now for those who aren't aware, there is a prequel novel called Star Wars Catalyst that basically tells the story of Galen Erso and how he basically got recruited for uh, the Death Star project. And basically, and this is the thing that, this is one of my criticisms of the film. And I understand this is a movie, this is a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie, so you can't fit in everything that you you really are supposed to when it comes to character development. So that, that was one of my beefs with the film as well. But specifically Orson Krennic, because in the book Catalyst, you really see what kind of a despicable snake Orson Krennic is. And, like, all the shit that he does, how he manipulates Galen Erso and tricks him into joining the Death Star project. Um, but in this movie, now let me get your opinions. In this movie, yeah, he's the main heel, but he really comes off more as, like, I don't know, like a, like a second-hand guy to Tarkin and to even Darth Vader. Like, he's just he's like this nothing bad guy. You know, he's supposed to be the main heel, but he really doesn't do that much. You know, what, what do you think of Krennic as a character, it, just as portrayed in this movie? Uh, I wouldn't go so far as saying he's a nothing bad guy. I will say he's a little overshadowed by Vader and um, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin in the film. Um, but it, it's it's I don't I wouldn't say he's, he's he's a nothing bad guy. I do agree that he had um, that he should have been uh, portrayed a little stronger. I think his opening scene, he he, he came off very well. Um, and as the scenes and as the film progressed, he was kind of shown as being, I mean, and obviously if you're a Star Wars fan, you know, that, uh, you know, that he's, he's not as going to be as powerful as Grandma Tarkin or as, uh, Darth Vader or as the emperor. But, uh, they, I, I do agree that they should have done a little better job of making him seem more authoritative because there was a lot of scenes where he's basically second banana to Tarkin, second banana to Vader. And he, he's kind of put in a position of vulnerability, uh, a little too often throughout the film. Uh, I, again, I'm not gonna say he's nothing villain, but I do I do understand that criticism that he's not uh, he's not as strong as I think he should be. Yeah, well, maybe nothing is a little bit of a strong word, but basically, like you took the words right now, second fiddle would actually be like the perfect a phrase I would use to describe Krennic, and that's not who he is. Especially when you read Catalyst, he's like this he's a real heel in in that book. Like he's that's why at the end when he finally he got killed, like I was like I was one of the only people like clapping for that because knowing his story and knowing all the way going all the way back to the Clone Wars, knowing what this guy has done, and finally seeing him get like his comeuppance at the end of Rogue One, I was like, Hell yeah, like suck on that Krennic. But like, you know, for those who just see the movie, like he's just playing second fiddle to these guys. He's not really that strong of a of a heel. And it kinda clump, comes up anticlimactic when he finally dies on Scarif. But I mean, that was just me, but and that's the thing too. I think we talked about this on our um, on our other Star Wars uh, episode where we were like, you know, you have the this expanded universe novels, you have all this extra content that adds to the story, but they shouldn't make it where like it's required reading or required playing or required viewing in order to watch these. These should be standalone films. But I feel that with with the characterization of Krennic and with like Jyn Erso and a lot of these characters. It's kind of reliant more on the books to help build that character depth, that which is missing from the movie. Because I, I don't mean to jump ahead, but when you have what happened on Scarab and you, everybody dies, you know everybody from uh, everybody every member of Rogue One, including Jurner, so Orson Krennic dies. When they all die, 
yes, it's emotional because of the way it's built up, but at the same time, it's kind of missing something because we really don't get to know these characters that much in the movie because everything's kind of like after the like the first half an hour, this film kind of just flies by pace wise, you know, and so there's really no time for character development or character depth, which is what I think kind of makes that finale where they all die. It kind of makes pulls back the punch a little bit as far as emotion. Um. Yeah, I I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree that it's not that that you don't feel as much uh, for the characters that that you know for the characters that die in the film. I, I will say that there are some characters that I wish that the the the, the, the ending of the film left me feeling like I wish I would have gotten one more movie out of these characters instead of just one, um, because because they cut you know the 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 crew. Because it almost seemed – if it wasn't for the – if they weren't tied to the fact that they had to get the the plans to the to the rebels and, and they wrote – I mean the, the, the story writes itself into a corner where they kind of have to die. If it wasn't tied to that and it wasn't tied to we have to build into New Hope and it had its own story to follow, uh, the coming to get the, – the putting the band together of the, of the movie – kind of very naturally will lead into a sequel following the same crew. So I am kind of uh, disappointed that I don't get to spend more time with these characters again. Um, but I don't necessarily agree that it's it, that, that you don't get as much screen time as you, as you, uh, as you would want to develop the characters. I, some, some people are more developed than others. I guess like, there are right. some that like, like Bodhi, for example, doesn't get pretty much anything to do until like the last act of the movie. Um, and or the alpha Donnie Yen, bro. I would have loved to have get yeah, to that character more. I would have loved to see more of Donnie Yen's character as well. Um, but I think Jin or so and Cassian uh, both have a decent amount of development to them. Um, and then, and obviously, they're the last. And you know, as we see on on, on screen, they're the last two to die as well. And, well, it's funny you mention that because with Jin, I mean, I got her development from the book, but I didn't really see much of it in the movie. That I mean that that's just me, but like I felt like she was well developed. But that's because I I I've read the book and I already know like her background, where she comes, how she grew up, and all that stuff. And with, with Cassian, with the Diego Luna's character, he has that one scene where he you, you kind of see. You know, I've been fighting this battle since I was six years old. He has that like one moment, and after that, like you really don't know that. He, that's it as as far as like big moments for like big character development moments for for Cassian Andor. It, so I don't know if I necessarily agree with you on that that they're both well developed compared to the other. And in, in fact, to me, they're not developed at all that well within within the film. Like Jin, I didn't mind because of the book. I didn't mind, you know, uh, Krennic because I knew him from the book. But like the other ones, I would have wished like they they got just uh, we got a little more background on them. Uh, I mean, I see what you're saying. Uh, I, I, I'm coming at it from from the from the perspective that I have not read the book, and to me, I got what I needed out of them. For like, I think the opening scene with Jin, and then cutting from that from that point to like her in jail or, or whatever wherever she was, like he, you kind of already you, that filled in enough gaps for me that I was like, all right, I know what this character is about. Uh, I, I didn't, and then throughout the film, through, just through dialogue and 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 uh, and and, uh, and plot developments, I, I knew what she was about. I don't think I needed. I, I don't think I need, more would have been nice, but I didn't think right. I, I got what I needed. 
Uh, same with Cassian. I got what I need with him. Um, I think um, Donnie Yen and uh, Bodhi and what was, the, what was the dude's name um, with the uh, – uh, I think – I don't know. How, I don't remember how his name. Uh, looking up the character. The actor's name is Wen Jang. He's Donnie Yen's buddy in the movie. No, Baze uh, Malbus. Baze Malbus. And then uh, Donnie is what? Chirrut? Is uh, I, I don't know how to say his name. I don't think they have, they really said his name in the movie. That's I the think, thing. I don't remember their names like from the film. It's like Chirrut Imwi or something. And, and that, that's something I want to get into a little in a, in a little bit too. But um, but yeah. So so Baze Malvis and, and Chirrut Imwi. Uh, I really wanted more on those guys. I really really wanted yes. more on those guys. I feel like I did not get a lot of on them. Uh, I think um, and I'm all uh, I think Bodhi. You didn't have enough. On Bodhi to you know yeah you you, you to, to see why he defected why he why uh, Gail Gail Nurso meant so much to him um, he he was kind of a little underdeveloped uh, but I to me from what the film gave me I was fine with what uh, with Jin Erso and Cassian's uh, uh, development I had what I needed for them uh, for everyone else I will agree they needed a little more right right and uh, kind of getting back to the opening scene. Um, when they try to take uh, Galen, the Empire tries to take Galen back. You know, Lyra kind of sends Jin off to run. I guess they've been expecting this for a while. She gives her, like, a, a, a kyber crystal necklace. We don't know it's a kyber crystal necklace yet. I know because of the book, but, you know, she's, you know, like, the Force is strong. Be one with the Force. And she kind of sends her off. Lyra goes out to confront Krennic and hit the Death Troopers, and she gets killed. So that was, a, that was the first death that really got to me because the, you – Lyra's all over the Catalyst novel, you know, and she's a she's pretty much a badass, you know, pretty much is standing up to Krennic at every turn because she knows that Krennic is up to no good. And now finally, now she, like, she dies, Galen pretty much loses everything at this point, so he lets himself get taken into custody by the Empire. Um, Jin goes into a cave, into her hiding spot, which is kind of like it's a makeshift rock with a kind of a cave inside of it, and then... Who should find her but uh, our boy Forrest Whitaker, a.k.a. Saul Guerrero. Um, and now, let me ask you this. Did you know who Saul Guerrero was before this movie? Like, did you watch The Clone Wars at all? I did not watch. Uh, I, I never watched The Clone Wars. I watched the original Clone Wars cartoon. Like the miniseries, the one, right? The miniseries that Jenny Tartakovsky did uh, that was like, you know, each episode was like eight minutes or something like that. The, yeah. that, the really, the micro series, I think they called it. I watched that one. I don't think he was in that one. Um, I never watched the actual Clone Wars cartoon, like ongoing series. I never watched the Clone Wars movie. Um, I just never, I just never watched it. And and as far as everything else, I just never got around to, uh, not got around. I didn't. I, I just wanted to go into this fresh. I didn't read and I didn't read Catalyst, for example. I didn't read any of the material surrounding this film. I didn't read spoilers. I didn't, re- didn't do it. I kind of wanted to go into it fresh, so I didn't know who Saw Guerrero was. Right. Right. Yeah, I didn't know who he was when, like, the trailer dropped until I actually, like, I, I looked it up. And, like, it's supposed to be Saul Guerrero from the Clone Wars TV. So I'm like, really? Like, that's pretty awesome. And that's when it hit me, like, oh, shit, that is him. It was, that was kind of a big markout moment for me to see him here. But, you know, again, Forrest Whitaker only got, like, what, maybe 15 minutes max of screen time? You know, it was kind of his character was kind of weird here. Like Saul Guerrero in the Clone Wars TV series, it is this like this badass, you know, that like kind of takes control. Like obviously now he's kind of like a broken shell of himself, like in the context of the story. But I would have loved to have seen more of Forrest Whitaker. But like the way 
that they portrayed him here was a, a little weird to me. I don't know if you felt the same way. Like, like he was just a weird character. Yeah, and I, um, so I think this, as far as screen time goes, I'd be I'd be interested in seeing how much of his stuff was left in the cutting room floor because I know that there were a lot of reshoots, and it's evident by the fact that uh, a lot of the early trailers had stuff that was not in the finished product of the movie, and had stuff where not only was it it wasn't it wasn't just a matter of like oh they cut this line they cut that line it was entire action sequences were gone from the that were gone from the film that were in the trailer like uh Jin uh, Urso running across the beach while the Adats were attacking uh with the the whole thing with the tie fighter coming up while she's walking across the, the like all this stuff was on the cutting room floor so i wonder if they they were some of the stuff that uh, the reason we got so little Forrest Whitaker and so little Sagrera in the film was because they cut it out. I don't know if that's the case, but I just felt that he was not. And here's here's one of my big first criticisms of the film is that I feel the movie did not need him. I think that uh, you could have completely written him out of the film, uh, gotten Jin to go along on this mission in another way, because I didn't think he added anything to the film at all. And I thought his whole portrayal of this kind of like uh ptsd you know warrior yeah. was was weird it was it did not i think fit with the tone of the film i thought it it just it didn't it didn't click for me um it was something that i think was just did not work at all right i'm in, i'm inclined to agree with you on that now that i really think about it because i mean they could have just had like had Bodhi kind of intercept like the galen's message and bring it to the rebellion since he was defecting anyway, instead of having to take it to Saul Guerrero, you know, he could have just kind of bypassed him, taking it right to Mon Mothma or or Jimmy Smith, who made a, who made a cameo in this movie. That's one of the good, the great cameos here, the great Jimmy Smith as Bail Organa. But he could have just brought it to one of them, who could have given it to Jin Erso. You know, they didn't really need Saul Guerrero for this. They just kind of needed an excuse to put him in, I guess, kind of as a way to kind of emphasize the fact that this is the bridge between the prequels and you know the the original trilogy. But you're absolutely right. Like when you really think about it, they didn't really need him, you know. Um, yeah, and the thing is with, with now you can't. I can't say that you can that you could have cut him out of the film completely because there's enough uh, there's enough there with Saw Guerrera um, that impacts the plot so much that you know because he's the one who rescued Jen out of the out of the out of the cave, and you know he's the one who had Bodhi, and he's the all this other stuff, right? So you couldn't have taken him out you can't edit him out of the film it's kind of like whenever you watch uh, i'm not sure if you've ever seen any of the the phantom edits of the phantom menace there are you know where, where they try to remove jar jar like there's still moments in the film you have to keep jar jar because he has there are points in the plot that he has to be in because that's the way the, the story was written and you can't write him out of that specific scene um uh, you can't edit him out of that specific scene so you can't edit uh uh Sagara out of the film but my my point was that whenever they were writing the film in the first place, I think that they could have written him out and found a new way to get things rolling because it, the way the finished product, it just I think he's a completely useless character. I, I don't think he's needed. I, I think he just detracts from the movie. And my major point, my major um, criticism of the film is that the first act to me doesn't really work. I think Act Two and Three work very well, and it'll lead into an ultimately satisfying film. But Act One is a mess, in my opinion. Yeah, Act One is actually pretty dull, if I, if I may say so. And I'm not just, and I'm being nice when I say dull because the people that I talk to that are 
not really Star Wars fans, but you know, they just want they, you know, they they're familiar enough with Star Wars to want to see Rogue One. And I talked to them afterwards, and they basically said, well, the beginning was boring. You know, it wasn't until Act Two, like you know, midway through the film, that it finally got rolling. Because like I said, around the forty-five minute mark, this st- movie starts going at, at a rapid pace. You know, and that's when it gets exciting because you have action scene after action scene after action scene, you know, and stuff really starts happening. But act one, where they kind of trying to get their feet wet, it really is really is very like badly paced and it comes off very dull, especially to people who like aren't as hardcore of Star Wars fans that we are. And that that's the thing. So like this this has um so that first act in in addition to it, not, I don't know. If, I don't know if I can call it dull. I just think it was inco- it was inconsistent. I think is to me is, is is better is a better term for me personally because it just kind of the tone seemed a little bit all over the place and I just uh, I wasn't getting into it and and I during that first act I was like oh man this is just another prequel. Um, but the I think my one of the one of the other questions I have about that is that whenever you are first. Um, when it jumps you now, let's face it. A lot of people who watch this film, for the most part, are going to be big Star Wars fans that know uh, where everything leads up to, right? And they know how, where everything's going to go, so they they kind of know to like kind of be on the lookout for things or know how to follow a, a Star Wars story, right? But what this film kind of does is it it has that kind of problem, I think, that Game of Thrones sometimes has. Uh, whereas if you're not quite paying attention, the way they jump between planets and star systems or whatever like that, you're going to, you're going to sit there thinking you have to stop thinking, you're like, wait, where are we again? What is this place? Who are these people? Because it, it doesn't stop to explain anything. It just puts like a little title card up that says you're in Jeddah, you're in, you know, uh, scare or whatever. Right. It just kind of, it doesn't tell you what, what these places are. I mean, it tells you just in words, but it, it just jumps you really. For if you look at um, a New Hope, right? You start off in space, and you're there for a while, and then you see where that the, the the droids land on Tatooine, and then you're just in Tatooine for a long time, right? And then after after Tatooine, they <laughs> jump to uh, they try to go to Alderaan, uh, but then Alderaan's up there, and then they get sucked into the Death Star, and then you're on the Death Star for a long time, and then after the Death Star, you they go down to uh, Yavin. Uh, with the with the rebels and then and then that so it, it's very clear you're one place for a big chunk of the movie and then you're another place for a big chunk of the movie and you're another place for a big chunk of the movie. Whereas this was like it jumped around way too much, I think, in that first 15 minutes. Like you were like it, it took you a long time to get your bearings. And I think that it's it, it, if you are not someone who's used to like sci-fi or fantasy or um, uh, movies that jump around like that, you know, you're gonna start to get a little confused, and uh, and I, even I was like, I don't know where we are right now, and I had to like, uh, I had to kind of stop and catch my breath a little bit every now and then. Um, so that 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 was kind of a, a kind of a problem I had with that first act as well. Right, right, and uh, it's funny you mentioned that too because well, I actually have another point to make, but I'm gonna I want to address this first. It's funny because I mean, you mentioned like a new hope, like you know they're on. The, uh, they're on the Star Destroyer for the beginning, then they're on Tatooine, you know, for a while, then, you know, they go to Alderaan, but it's not there, then they go on the Death Star, then the Death Star for a while, then they go to Yavin for a little bit, and then they'll go back to the Death Star. You know, it's funny because I, I, well, I forgot what article I was reading for what site it was. It might have been Uproxx, I'm not sure, but um, the author was saying how, like, he tried to get, like, one of his, like, friends into Star Wars, you know, with, uh, with A New Hope. 
and I think she stopped watching it like around like the maybe the 20 25 minute mark saying it was boring because like all I'm seeing is these robots walking in the desert you know and it was boring so she stopped watching it so I mean it's like all she had to do was just stay past that part and it would have started getting good but she just had to stop in the middle when like C3PO's walking through the desert by himself you know so I just thought I just think that's funny you know that um you know you could argue that like they kind of stayed too long in the desert there with C-3PO, R2-D2, but I, I thought that was essential. I thought all that, like, Star Wars is, that first Star Wars is as first as close to a perfect movie as the Star Wars film's going to get, you know? So I just find it funny that, like, someone will be turned off by, like, that aspect. You kind of understand it, but it's like, you know, just give it a chance. Yeah. No, I get it. I get that, yeah. Yeah, but uh, the other point I was going to make, though, was I don't know if you heard about, because I want to get to the point where, like, like emphasize with your Saul Guerrero point. Um, did you hear about the uh, the uh, podcast appearance that Gareth Edwards made for Empire? No. I think this was must have been recent. I don't know. I forgot when the article came out, but I think his appearance must have been within the last like week or so. It was you know to right after Rogue One came out. It must have been like from Sunday or even maybe yesterday. But Empire, the Empire, the magazine. Yes, correct. Okay, you said Empire, and we're talking about stars. I'm thinking of Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> okay, I, I get it. I understand. Empire that. magazine, yeah. So they had him on, and they asked them basically point blank. You know, we saw all these scenes in the trailers that were nowhere to be found in the uh, in the in the movie. Like, what's up with that? You know, especially the ending. So he goes. So at the beginning, like when they were first writing the very first draft of the screenplay for Rogue One, he wrote it so that everybody died, you know, and pr pretty much his whole crew, like his whole crew of writers, agreed with, with that ending, you know, they're nowhere to be found in Ro in, a, in A New Hope, we never hear from them anywhere else in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, so they should die, yeah, that So they sense. should die, yeah. Um, what he was worried about, though, was that Disney would say, you can't have that ending, it's too dark, you know, you're not, he was afraid that Disney wasn't going to let him kill them off. Because it was too dark of an ending, and it's Disney. So he, when with his second draft, with the draft that he started filming with, he wrote a different ending where at least Jin lived. I don't know about everybody else; he didn't really address that, but where at least Jin Erso lived. So when he took the script to Disney, and uh, I think Di like the Disney exec said they liked it, but like you know, they then they sent it to Kathleen Kennedy, and Kathleen Kennedy and like her people basically said, you know. Don't you think they should die? I mean, because they're nowhere to be found in any of the other Star Wars films. They're not mentioned ever again. So don't you think they should die? And he was like, yes, they should die. <laughs> you know, and, and his whole, like, writing crew agreed with that. So whilst they were filming, you know, those Scarif scenes, they were having that talk with Kathleen Kennedy about the ending of the movie. So he already shot those scenes of Jyn Erso with the plans running across Scarif against the AT-AT while this was happening. So when... Kathleen Kennedy gave the okay to have that ending where everybody dies. That's when they kind of went into reshoot mode. It's okay, well, now we got to reshoot this. We got to get rid of this. So basically, that's the story of the ending. I don't know about the other stuff he didn't really talk about, or maybe they didn't really write it on the article. But as far as the ending goes, that's what happened with that. He didn't think they were going to go for that ending, but they said, hell yeah, let's do it. So they had to do some reshoots. That was part of the reshoots. I wonder why they got rid of the TIE Fighter, though, because that's a cool visual. That is a cool visual, yeah. It's a really cool why. visual. I kind of – I feel like you could have still kept that and had her, still had her die. I don't know. It still looked cool. Anyway. I agree. All right. that, 
that was one. That was, I think, the one scene that I I really missed from the trailers, like that where she confronts the Tie Fighter like by herself. That was pretty. That was a badass scene. I don't know why they had to change that. Maybe we'll find out like in the commentary. But anyway, so um, the next aspect I kind of want to talk about is like before we get really get into like the fun stuff with the cameos. Um, yeah, I think you said this. I don't know if it was on a Facebook thread or one of the uh, older Force Perspective episodes, like within this year. But I think you said that you predicted that K2SO would be the 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 beloved character of this film. And you were absolutely right, bro. This motherfucker, bro. And by the way, Alan Tudyk, aka Steve the Pirate from Dodgeball. That's all I he's done many other great films, but I'll always know him as Steve the Pirate. Um he does an amazing job here with the deadpan humor as K2SO, and he is the MVP of this movie. Like, not counting Darth Vader. K2SO is the MVP of this movie. What'd you think of this character? Oh, I love this character. Um, and uh, he actually turned out being better than I thought he was going to be. Uh, and again, he has also a couple lines in the trailer that like he's not that aren't represented in the film, like the whole uh, "I think I'll kill you later" or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it, he he he's a fun fun character. I I think I always think of Alan Tudyk is from Dodgeball. I always think of him as a uh, wash from Firefly and Serenity. I'm not sure if you ever watched that show or movie, but that that's who I always think of whenever right. I think of Alan Tudyk. Um, but yeah, he's a uh, uh, his character was fantastic. I had a really uh, I really had a really good time with with that character. And again, one of those characters that I really wish he, he you know, and again because they're in the they've written themselves in the corner that you never see or reference these characters again, so they kind of have to kill everybody off. I wish, like, I would have gotten more of him because uh, that's a character that I, I, I think would have been a lot more fun to the, in another film. Um, uh, and so one thing I think is kind of what I think is kind of uh, entertaining about the – or not entertaining. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? One thing about the character that I think was very well developed was that uh, whenever he dies in the film, whenever he gets destroyed – like people were upset in my theater. People yeah. were like, people actually that I think that affected people more than any other character was him was it was his death scene, uh, and, and, and I thought that was very interesting. You are absolutely right. When he he was the first one to go, I think from the team, and when he did, oh my god, that uh, I, there was not a dry eye in the house. I mean, not not literally, but like you know, figuratively. You know, I I looked around and like everybody was like, oh no, or like they had like their mouth. You know, they're, they're, they're hand covering their mouth like, oh, my God. You know, yeah, that was that was bad, man. Oh, my God. Especially, like, I felt like, you know, like, he, he was already building a, a good rapport with, with, with Jin. He already had a great rapport with Cassie. And, you know, so that's kind of helped the character kind of get over. And then to kind of see him, like, you know, give give his life for them there, like, to take all those shots from the stormtroopers and finally get destroyed. I was like, oh, my God. Like, that, that was the beginning of it, man. That's that the emotional roller coaster started when K2SO went down, man. That's great character. I thought he was like other than Vader, he was the MVP of this movie. Yeah, he was, he was a fun he was a fun character. I, I wish I, I wish we got more of him. Yes, absolutely. Um but kind of getting back to to the plot. So after, you know, that beginning scene where Saul finds young Jin, you know, kind of fast forwards 15 years later, uh, which let me let me just say real quick, as much as a problem I have with act 1 of the film, I think that opening scene is actually really Perfect. I think I, it, do, it, I, I'll, I'll, I really do. I did. I did love that opening scene. I think that is pretty much when. Uh, um, I already forgot his name. When um, 
Uh, Krennic. Oh, Krennic. Okay. Uh, I think I almost call him Merrick. I was like, no, that's the elephant man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Kren- that is think that is when uh, uh, Krennic is the most um, is at his most menacing in that scene. Absolutely, absolutely. I gotta agree with you there. And then seeing Lyra go down, like that that was that pulled on my heartstrings too. Um, but uh, so the film fast forwards 15 years. Jin is in an imperial jail facility. It seems like. Um, and then you find out, I think they're on Jetta at the beginning when you find Cassian the first time, right? Is it Jetta or is it another planet? You I don't know. See, this is one of those things that, like, the movie just jumped around way too much. I thought you saw Cassian in that, like, um, like trading outpost or something. I don't think it was Jetta. Yeah, I, I don't think he- it was Jetta yet. It was, it was, I think it was another planet, but it was like the, like the trading outpost. You're right. And then you find out that uh, this Imperial cargo pilot, Bodie Rook, has defected from the Empire and it has been charged. And, like, you know, rumor has it he has this message from Galen Erso to bring to Saul Guerrero. Um, so that's when you find uh, Cassie for the first time. He, I think he, he finds Bodhi at that training outpost, and he basically saves him from stormtroopers. And uh, so he, I guess Cassian decides, okay, I'm going to bring this guy to uh, to Saul Guerrero if I can find him. You know, But first, you kind of switch to the Rebels, and I guess they figured out that, okay, Jin is being taken to this other facility by the Empire, and they free Jin from, uh, from the Empire. Um, and I think in this scene also you get to see the uh, the Juggernaut tank that the Empire was using, which is kind of a callback to Revenge of the Sith, which is the same tank that uh, that they used on on Kashyyyk um, during that battle. But um, so at this point in the movie, like so, then that's when you kind of get to where like the trailers kind of started off. You know, they bring Jin in. You know, they kind of read her like you know the offenses she's done. You know, you know, theft of Imperial documents. You know, aggravated assault, resisting arrest, and all that. All that stuff, and uh, she kind of gets briefed as to why she's there. Basically, they need her to find Galen Erso because he's the one that designed the Death Star and its super laser. Um, so at this point in the movie, I mean, we kind of talked about the beginning already. You know, it, it's not necessarily dogged in your opinion to other people that I've talked to. They thought it was dull, but like, this is the uh, I think the most as far as character development that you kind of get. You kind of get like kind of. The bare minimum, as far as getting to know Jin, if you haven't read the books, getting to know Cassian, and getting to know like basically what's going on as far as the Rebels and the Death Star, because that's when you finally get to hear, okay, you know, Galen Erso designed the Death Star, and apparently she's he's trying to reach out to Saul Guerrero. How do we how do we find them? And that's where Jin comes into play. So at this point in the movie, like, wh- what are your feelings so far as we get into like? They got to this point. They, that's when they go to Jetta. But at this point, what are your thoughts on how the movies progressed so far? Um, kind of like I said before, like I just thought it was jumping around too much because you saw, you know, Cassian on the one place. You saw Bodhi being taken by a by a, by the Sagara's guys in another part. You saw some stuff with Krennic. So it just was jumping around too much. That that's whenever I was like, Ugh, I don't know about this so much. I don't know. Uh, once they got to the Rebel base. And started the plot, like because it, it felt like all the other stuff was like the. It almost feels like um, the stuff that happens um, before they break her out of jail and take her back to the rubble base. It almost seems like that stuff could have been explained in like a minute of exposition. Um, and I know you always want to do, you always want to show, not tell what happens on screen. I get that. But I thought that some of that stuff was so unnecessary and it just jumped around too much. I feel like it could have just been explained the way in exposition. Um, but it, but once you got to the rubble base, 
and you actually started the plot of the film, then I was okay. Uh, but then when they get to Jeddah, that's whenever I, they start to lose me again. Because that whole sequence from when they land on Jeddah until the the planet blows up, pretty basically, I was I was starting I was in and out. <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, so they do land on Jeddah. Actually, before they even depart, um, the the rebel general uh, Corson, I think his name was, or something like that. He tells Cassian that if they find Galen, he his mission is to kill Galen. You know, he's a traitor right. because he's the one who designed the Death Star and. You know, instead of extracting him, he needs to get shot. So, um, so of course, he doesn't tell Jid about this, and then that kind of takes into effect what happens later. But So they land on Jeddah, and you find out that the Empire is on Jeddah because they're mining kyber crystals. Now, this is the first time, I think, as far as in the Star Wars movie where they mentioned kyber crystals. It's been all over the expanded universe, at least the original expanded universe. In the novels, they mentioned the kyber crystals because the kyber crystals are what power the Jedi lightsabers. And basically the Jedi kind of have a monopoly on these kyber crystals. You find this out in, in Catalyst. They basically have a monopoly on these kyber crystals, only they know where they are because they basically try to hide them because they realize the tremendous power that these kyber crystals have. And the Empire, and you find, all, you find all this through Catalyst, the Empire, find, after Order 66, the Empire decides, you know what? We're going to see what these kyber crystals are made of. So... Krennic is in charge of basically going to all these different worlds where they have intelligence that there's kyber crystals and they just start like mining the shit out of them, you know. And now, fast forward to Rogue One, Jeddah is the latest planet that they're doing this to. Um, and I think Jeddah is a little significant here because, if I'm not mistaken, Jeddah has like a Jeddah was a, a, a one of those like pilgrimage planets to the Jedi, like they have like a it's basically their mecca. So like they have like this big monument to the Jedi. There's this big temple there. That's but the, I think that's what uh what Donnie Yen was guarding. That one of the the old Jedi temples. But um, but yeah. So the Empire is there to mine uh kyber crystals. Um, what did you think of the introduction of Donnie Yen and uh, and Baze at this point? Because they kind of just came out and they it was kind of like a nothing introduction. They were just kind of sitting there like he's like oh I'm the guardian of the wills, which I want to talk about in a little bit. But like I'm I'm the guardian of the wills, and then that's it. You know, so like, what did you think of their introduction? Well, to backtrack a little bit, I, I did uh, I did appreciate the callback to the Kyber Crystal. That's something that I remember hearing about when I was a kid about what what powers of lightsabers. Like, I, I didn't I didn't read all of the the Star Wars novels or anything like that, but I read like Star Wars comic books that were you know that were part of the you know extended universe, however you want to call it. That eventually got wiped out when Disney bought it, but it looks like they are bringing some of that stuff back in, like the Kyber Crystal. So I, I do, I did appreciate that, uh, and I do appreciate that they're the Guardians of the Wills, which is uh, what, uh, uh, which is a callback to the original name of the Star Wars script, uh, which was what was it Star Wars and the Journey of the Wills or it, something it like that. Like, it was like the the, the story of, of Luke Starkiller and the Journal of the Wills, chapter yeah. one, the Star yeah. Wars. Yeah, exactly. Like so. So I appreciate that they, they that that's a callback. Um, uh, I I I like Donnie Yen's and we keep calling him Donnie Yen's we don't know because we don't remember his name. But I appreciated Donnie Yen's introduction as like this kind of like kind of like a psychic kind of thing. I thought that was kind of neat. And you're like, okay, what, what's he? What's he? But like uh, his his buddy uh, his buddy Bays did not get really much of anything. Um, uh, this is like one of the like I, I was they were starting to lose me again on on, on Jetta here, uh, but then whenever they kind of got into the action and started like you know, it, 
when they got involved into like the in, in the fight with the uh, the stormtroopers and everything, that's whenever I was like, all right, these guys are cool. I like these guys. So um, they they kind of brought me back in, and then they lost me again whenever they they were they were back in Sagarera's prison. So uh, so before we kind of get into like where you know Jin finds Saw, there was a very it was a hilarious cameo while Jin, Cassian, and K two. Oh right were walking, like, in that marketplace on Jeddah. Can you... Now, I know... I don't want to just say they're the guys from this. Do you... What are their names? Do you know their names offhand before, without having to look it up? Um... Because they have, like, wacky names. His name is... The guy's name is Dr. Um... Oh, what the fuck's his name? <laughs> Dr. Uh... You're losing your Star Wars crap, bro. Oh, man. What is his name? So Walrus Man, I know that. Walrus Man. Walrus Man is not actually his name, yeah, but that's right. what they—that's what they called him on the old uh, on the old action figure toys. Um, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Walrus Man actually is named Ponda Baba. <laughs> Ponda Baba, that sounds right. Doctor. But Doctor what? Doctor, Doctor, Doctor. What the fuck is his name? Doctor. It's like Evian or something. Doctor. Not Evian, because that's like a friggin' dr- yeah. uh, water. It's something like that. Dr. Uh, Evazan. Evazan, that's what it is. <laughs> so, so Jin and Cass, no, I think it was Jin. Jin bumps into Evazan, and he wants to start a fight. <laughs> Just like he eventually did on in the cantina on tattooing in A New Hope, and that does not end well for him. So, well, let's just I, I, that. hey, let's, let's, at least Dr. Evazan. Uh, uh, has a little bit of luck on his shoulders because, you know, he had to have gotten out of Jeddah pretty quickly to get to get to the Tatooine in time to start that fight with Luke. Exactly. Because Jeddah gets blown. So like, so he had to have much left right after that. He pretty much like, was on his way to his ship at that point. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, he must have been because otherwise, like, he would have gotten blown up. <laughs> exactly, bro. But that was a nice cameo. Like everybody, like I heard clapping when they showed up on screen because that was cool. Like, I mean, and we didn't mention this yet, but like basically, like this film is like it's like a Star Wars fan film. This film was made for the fans because you have all these little cameos, all these little Easter eggs. This was a, say, a, a, a fan film made by a fan. You know, don't say don't say fan film because I hate fan films. I absolutely can't stand them. I think that people who do fan films are I'm gonna so alienate so many people when I say this. They're just like loser virgins living in their mom's basement. <laughs> like I just, I cannot stand people who do fan films. Like make your own thing. Don't, don't, don't bogart other people's stuff because you want to make a, a. It's like fan fiction. It's the same thing as fan fiction, just with more, which is more money behind it. I can't stand. So don't call it a fan film because that, I think that is a little bit uh, derogatory. I think that is a dirty word, fan film. So. Uh, I would just call – I'd say there's a lot of fans. Well, when I say fans, I didn't mean it like that. I meant like it was made for the Star Wars fans. I understand that, but fan uh, – like when I think fan film, I think of that stupid uh, Batman movie where the freaking Predator or like Alien – Predator, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm just like, oh, I hate that. I hate that garbage. I hate it. It's so stupid. And like where people think they're great actors and they're not and they just – like do they just like put a lot of money behind costumes and stuff? Like stop it. You suck. I don't want to see this garbage. <laughs> so, um, like, sorry. Just, I know I just went on a rant. For no, Damn, I just, yeah. I huge tangent, just, by the way. It's a, to me, it's fan film is a derogatory statement, and this is not a fan film. Yeah. So, um, I will say this though: uh, that it is a film that does 
really cater to the fans. It is a, there's a lot of fan service in here, and that that uh, Doctor Evazan uh, little cameo was 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 pretty entertaining. Yep. Yes, it was. So uh, so eventually, uh, our trio does find uh, Saul Guerrero's cave, and he already has Bodie kind of hostage, kind of locked up already. By the way, every time they said Bodie and Bodie's name, I kept thinking of Patrick Swayze from uh, from uh, from <laughs> nice. Point Break. Yeah, because it's, that was his name in Point Break. Name, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. Anyway, but anyway, so uh, Saul plays the message for Jin, and basically it's Galen saying, "Oh, and, and this is some of my favorite parts of the movie because because it fixed." A huge plot hole that we've been talking about for years. I even think we even talked about it on the Star Wars episode we did for the original trilogy. A huge plot hole regarding A New Hope regarding the Death Star. Because for years we've been saying, why the fuck would the Empire overlook a huge flaw like they had that allowed Luke to destroy it? How could something like that get away from them? You know? How could they be so stupid? Well, Galen Erso on his hologram message to Saul basically says, you know, yes, I designed a Death Star. I, re- I basically, I regret it. You know, it's something I didn't want to do. I was kind of forced to do it. But, you know, I did put a design flaw so small that they, there's no way they're going to be able to find it, you know, and just one shot to this, you know, to this ass- to this part of the, of, the, of the battle station will destroy it. So basically, Galen Erso sabotaged the project on his own as an FU, as a fucking stone cold salute to the Empire, I heard that and I was clapping, bro, because I was like, yes, Disney fucking fixed the plot hole, bro. Galen Erso, as revenge, put in that flaw in the Death Star that allows Luke to destroy it in A New Hope. I thought that was fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I, I did enjoy that. Um, it, it, that's the beauty of prequels, right? When you have a prequel, sometimes you can go back and fix things that were broken, and that was that was a that was a big. That was a big plot hole that people were, you know, it's one of those things that whenever you watch the original film, you're like, eh, it's a movie, it's fine because everything else is still fine, you know, whatever. But because you have a prequel and you and you, you can go back and fix it, like, it's one of those things that, you know, that I'm glad that they addressed uh, because it make, it just made sense. So it made sense that you had an inside man, more or less, the, put in the put in the, the flaw on purpose. Um, so I, I did enjoy that. I did enjoy that. I thought... And I did think that the uh, kind of the hologram exposition of that uh, was pretty good. It could have been delivered like, because I mean that's what it was. It was an exposition scene right. of, of of him to explaining. By the way, audience, this is how this happens. So, and 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 a lot of times when the movie stops or stuff like that, it can be a little annoying or clunky. But I thought this was pretty well handled. I agree. I agree. I love this scene. Love this scene. I love how it just kind of fixed. That decades, decades old plot hole from Hope. That was just so awesome, man. Um, but again, it, it goes back to my original point that you didn't need Saw Gerrera for this because Bodhi's the one who had that who had that recording, not Saw Gerrera. So you could have just had something where you could have written something where Jin meets Bodhi without ever involving Saw Gerrera. Like there was just no need for him to be in as part of the film. Right. Exactly. And while this is happening. Um, Krennic is on the Death Star, and he goes to meet Peter Cushing himself, a man who's been dead for 20 years, Grand Moff Tarkin, and his fucking Peter Cushing, bro. Now, I thought the CGI, 
when I first saw it, I was like my jaw dropped, bro. Seeing Peter Cushing, I thought the CGI was great. The the I guess the biggest complaint I've kind of seen as far as this movie goes is the 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 Grand Moff Tarkin thing because a lot of people are saying like the CGI looked horrible, that it didn't look real, like you could tell it was like a computer animated thing. I mean, when I first saw it, like my jaw dropped. I thought it looked so good. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just them. What did you think of seeing Peter Cushing in a film in 2016? Uh, I did enjoy it. So, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, this technology that we've been using in recent years to kind of de-age actors. Um, You know, we saw it in Tron Legacy with Jeff Bridges. We saw it in Ant-Man with Michael Douglas. Uh, We saw it in Civil War with Robert Downey Jr. Um, And now we're seeing it with uh, uh, Peter Cushing. In this case, not de-aging him, but basically bringing him back from the dead. Uh, to do um, to do a, a role in the film. Um, now, from what I understand, they did get the the permission of his estate to to right. to put him in this film. So it's not like they just are just <laughs> they just did it. Yeah. the dead for this. But um, so it, it's it's interesting because if you watch the film and if you're just looking at it, if you're just really paying attention to, to the, you can tell it's CGI. You can, you can absolutely tell that it is a CGI creation. Um, but upon first glance, it passes, right? It, it has, it, they haven't quite, quite mastered it 100%, but it's, it's close enough that it's passable, right? Uh, I think as they get more, as they do this more and more, because you go back to six years ago when you did it with with Jeff Bridges and Tron Legacy, which is a movie I actually like. I know a lot of people don't like, but I actually really do like Tron Legacy. It looks bad. Uh, you can see the it, it just the looks really bad. Yeah. And then when you fast forward that to Ant Man and uh, Michael Douglas, it looks a lot better. Like, it looked really good. And then um, Civil War looked better than that. <laughs> and then the Civil War one looked even better than that. So I think this is with Peter Cushing. This is the best it's been with that sort of technology. Um, it's still not a hundred percent, but it's the best it's been. Um, and I, so it, I appreciated it, and I appreciated the effort that goes into it. And I think once now that we have this, you're gonna. I think you're gonna be seeing a lot of a lot more instances of like, because you know I'm, I'm sure you've seen movies where like, um, you know, uh, you have an older, you know, a character that's older in the film. But you flash back to his younger days, and then it's like a different actor, right? Um, now that the now that we have this technology, you're, I think more and more and more and more, you're gonna see them actually using it, not just in like science fiction films, but just like in some like drama or something, you know, or yeah. some comedy or something. Just just because we have the technology, I think people are gonna start using it to so that they don't have to hire another actor to do those scenes, you know. Um, but I think the Peter Cook, whoever they got to do his voice, was spot on. Now I know that I know I know some lines may have been reused, but for from from uh, A New Hope or like I think Fire When Ready was pretty much the same the same line. Um, anytime he said Lord Vader, maybe maybe they chopped that in there too. But uh, I think the whoever they got to to actually deliver his lines was perfect. Like that was a perfect impression of him. Uh, and and you know I think uh, D put on my Facebook page like how. How uh, scary is it that this is one of the best performances of the year, and it wasn't, and, and it was from a dead guy? Uh, <laughs> it's true, like that. Whoever did that, I mean, the performances were so, 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 so spot on. Like with with that with that Peter Cushing character, uh, he looked, he he sounded just like him, and the he sounded just as menacing, and just, he had all his, I don't want to say mannerisms because it was because it was a voice performance, but all his 
uh, I don't know what the, tone, the the word for mannerisms for voice is. All his his cadence, his cadence. He had his cadence down pretty well, put down pretty well. Um, now for the actual on screen, I know the face was clearly CGI. Was the whole body CGI or just the face? I think just the face. And then they had like a, I'm assuming a a stand and a double, like a double doing everything right, else, like right? A body double or like an actor standing in for like the CGI, yeah. Yeah, but the, wh- whoever animated the facial features, I mean, it, lo- it was very well done. It looked like I think that this, uh, that 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 will probably get them an uh, uh, an Oscar nomination, if not the Oscar win this year, visual effects because that's very very impressive. I agree, absolutely. If, they got to get some recognition for it. just like It's a Wonderful Life got that recognition for the snow, you know, even if it's like a special Oscar just for this, like they they have to get something because this is just amazing. Right. So in this scene, um, the Death Star's already flying over Jetta. Krennic shows up to meet with Tarkin, and Tarkin kind of expresses, you know, um, disappointment, skepticism on how the project is going. You know, you're, you're behind schedule. You know, you're not managing it right now. In the Catalyst novel, basically Tarkin and Krennic are, are, are basically rivals, you know, and Krennic is the one placed in charge of the Battle Station project. And, you know, he keeps falling behind, you know, for this reason or that reason, mainly because he's trying to get Galen Erso to, at, at one point, either come onto the project or when he finally comes onto the project to kind of be able to use his research effectively, to be able to have scientists that can actually translate his data and use it the way they're supposed to. And Tarkin, you know, I haven't read the Tarkin novel yet. You know, I, that is one of the audiobooks I have, like, in my queue that I do plan to read eventually, or to listen to, I should say. But... Tarkin is basically this rising star in the Empire. Like he's, he's already won favor with the Emperor. He's already done missions with Darth Vader, you know, and so he's like the Emperor's number one at this point, and Krennic is jealous. You know, that should be his spot, which is why he's putting all his effort, you know, into making sure that the battle station gets completed, you know, timely, and, you know, his, his end goal is to be the one that runs it. But he sees that, like, the, the more he slips, the more likely it'll be that Tarkin's the one that's going to be in charge of the Death Star once it's finally done. So that's the last thing that he wants to happen. So they kind of build on their kind of animosity more in Catalyst, but you kind of see it already here in this conversation that they're having. Right. Yeah, and, and this is whenever I think Tarkin takes the movie away from, from Krennic as far as the villain goes. Exactly, exactly. Um, so they decide, okay, we need to have a demonstration for this Death Star's power. You know, to te- have it basically a test run to see if this super laser... Is, uh, is what it's supposed to be. So, Krennic uses a low-powered laser shot from the weapon, and he destroys the Jetta capital and crushes the base- Solgur's basically little little rebel band that he has there in the cave. So, Jin and the group have to flee Jetta now. Solgur dies. Um, I, you know, that kind of, I was like, you know, the... Why couldn't I mean there was enough time for him to come, but I, I mean he was kind of using like a, 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 a you know one of those canes to walk. He probably would have slowed them down. So I guess maybe just for their sake, so for them to be able to escape, he said, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna meet my maker. So that's so Guerrera dies, um, and then uh, and, that, the, and, and again that's one of those things where it's like, well, what was his point then? Like mm-hmm. like because you watch the film and he's you know it's Forrest Whitaker who's not an un. Who, who is not a uh, unnoteworthy un- actor, so you think he's gonna have a big part of the film, and then he kind of just gets killed off. And one, the, the one thing that we never mentioned is that what, what was the whole thing with him and that getting that octopus thing to like read Bodhi's mind and stuff like yeah, that, that. That was kind of a pointless scene. That was like, why is that here? Like that, 
that could that needed to get edited out. That that did not need to be in the film at all because uh, I don't know. It just I I hated that scene. And 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 then you just you just have this crazy old man, and then he just really <laughs> right. he really he's not even really that essential to the plot. It just I really really just would have not had them in this film at all. Sorry, continue. No, no, I'm just saying, like, like you're absolutely right. Like, with the little screen time he had and the little effect he had on, on the movie itself, like, there was really, like, what was the point of that? You know, there was really no reason for him to be there. Um, so after Jetta's destroyed, essentially, the, the, the Jetta capital is destroyed, Tarkin congratulates Krennic, you know, on how well the, the Death Star laser worked, but he's using the security breach, you know, that the, um, you know, the, the, the pilot defecting, you know, and was able to take the uh, the Galen Erso message. He kind of uses that as a pretext to take control of the project from Krennic. So that forces Krennic to travel to uh, another planet to meet with somebody else to kind of get get him on their side. So to kind of preface this, you notice that every planet they visit in this movie. They kind of, but right before they, that scene starts, it says, you know, they're on Jetta. It'll say on the screen, Jetta. Or it'll say, you know, Scarif, you know, on the screen. But this Imperial shuttle flies into this lava planet. And as soon as I see this, I'm like, is that Mustafar? But that's the only planet in the entire movie where, they, where somebody visits, where there's a setting, you know, for a scene involved where there's no mention of the name. They don't display the name of the planet, which I thought was kind of cool. And I'm staring at this, I'm like... I see the lava. Is that Mustafar? And then he lands in this in this kind of castle, right? And all of a sudden, you see like this kind of robed guy, kind of like this butler type, go into a back to tank with two of the red Imperial guards, bro, guard, you know, watching over it. And he's like, Lord Vader, Director Krennic is here to see you. And it's Darth Vader in the fucking back to tank, bro. Now, you find out, I think, I forgot, it was one of the writers, I think, that said afterwards, like over the weekend, that, yes, that's fucking Mustafar, and yes, Vader built a castle on Mustafar. I love the the layer, the extra now layer of depth that the Darth Vader character has gotten. Now he has so many layers at this point, from the original trilogy to the prequels. Like th this is a very layered character at this point, and to add that extra layer now, to basically build his layer and the planet where he really became Darth Vader is just like. Wow, like just amazing. Yeah, and this, and what this does, um, what this further emphasizes, is something that like fanboys have been talking about for a long time. In that one of the reasons that Vader is as um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for is as a disagreeable <laughs> as he is, uh, is that he's in constant pain. Um, and like now before, and when you watch it, when you see empire and you see him in that little bubble and then like mass comes down and everything like that, like that's just, you, you, you get, you get the impression that, oh, when he's not, when he's not needed, he's not wearing the suit, he's not wearing the mask or whatever. Um, and, and it's the same thing here, except you, you see him in that, in that tank where he's clearly, it's clearly a situation like if I don't have to be in that suit, I am not going to be in that suit because it, I, he's just in constant pain. And that's, you know, so like I, I, I kind of confirmed that for a lot of the fanboys, which I think is really neat. Um, I, I thought that was I, as soon as I saw the as soon as I saw the lava, I was like, oh, here we go. Because obviously I knew Vader was in the film. I knew Vader was in the film because we, we've known this for a while. Uh, he was in the trailers. You know, people have known for a while that he was in the film. Um, so the second I saw the lava, it immediately brought back it brought back the uh, 
the imagery of Revenge of the Sith. So the only thing good that Revenge of the Sith was good for was was reminding me that oh yeah, that's where you you know that's where Vader uh, became Vader. So um, yeah, I, I thought that was cool. I thought the actual scene uh, again, once again, if if, if uh, Tarkin wasn't enough, this again made Mer- uh, I keep wanting to say Mary uh, made Krennic. Um, seem a little more more (laughs) significant. Now, again, in the the trailers, there was a scene where he kind of almost talking to Vader about like saying something like the power of this this station is uh, will be, you know, unimaginable or whatever he says. And he's talking to Vader in that scene, but that's not that doesn't show up in the film. So like, I wonder where that was cut or why it was cut. Um, But yeah, we're, we're basically kind of tries to I do, I do like the very old school way that Vader enters, where you see the big ass shadow, and it come, come as it comes closer, it drinks down on him. Uh, I thought that was very, very, uh, um, very entertaining. Um, the, I don't know who was in the suit, but whoever was in the suit did a good job doing the pantomiming. Uh, the, and what here's what I appreciated, right? Uh, it actually that suit looks like it's, it looked like the beginning of a new hope. Because you know, if you if you're a dork like like I am, you've noticed that the suit in A New Hope and the suit in Return of the Jedi are different. Like they 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 are not exactly the same. As the time as the movies went on, they made little adjustments here and there to the suit to make it look a little sleeker, look a little cooler, whatever. It it upon the naked upon first inspection, it looks like the same suit. But if you actually look at it uh, from movie to movie to movie, it changes a little bit. And this actually is much more in line with the new hope than it is return of the Jedi. Whereas I think the one in at the end of Revenge of the Sith looks more like the return of the Jedi one. Uh, I haven't watched Revenge of the Sith in a long time because I don't want to watch the prequels, but it did look like when I, I remember thinking whenever I saw Revenge of the Sith, that that suit looked more like the return of the Jedi one. Uh, whereas this suit actually looks like the a new hope one. Um, James Earl Jones. Okay. I, saw, I thought he sounded a little off. Yes, yes, we were just about to get to that. So, you know, so, Director Krennic, is it, you know? And, uh, yeah, that was the first thing I noticed. Like, the voice was kind of a little off. I think we talked about this already, like, off air. But, you know, kind of like it was more, it sounded more like an imitation of James Earl Jones than it was James Earl Jones. But it was him. And, I mean, I I can just only maybe chalk it up to just age, man. You know, the guy's getting old, you know, and his voice is not what it used to be. I mean, at this, maybe this might be the this might be it for him. I mean, I, at this point, there it might be cheaper, like for them to just go with you know, an imitation if he he can't produce the voice like it should be anymore. You know. Yeah, it it, it didn't sound bad. It sounded like Vader enough. It sounded enough like Vader that it was fine. Um, but it, there was a point, where, but it almost sounded like it almost sounded like. If you were to watch like a cartoon or another official Star Wars thing that they didn't get James like James Earl Jones for, yeah, or like a video game where where it was like it just they got a sound alike, you know, and it, it it's not it's it's still okay. I mean, it, it sounds like a really good sound alike. Yeah, but exactly, it doesn't quite sound like Vader. But you know what? It's fine. It, it was okay. Right, right. But uh, in this scene, basically. Krennic is trying to recruit Vader to his side in his little mini war with Tarkin. You know, he's like, you know, I've been working on this station, you know, for so long. You know, this is my project. This is my baby, essentially. And Tarkin's not going to take it away from me. And Vader's basically like, you know, the Senate has no idea about this Death Star project, you know, and it's going to stay that way. 
you know, it's it's basically been nothing but trouble since the beginning. Um, and he basically rebuffs Krennic. You know, he's like, you know, you're on your own. You know, you you're the one's gonna prove. You have to prove to the Emperor on your own that you're worthy to take control of this battle station. You know, I'll, you're gonna do it without my help. And then when he finally walks away, I forgot what, what Krennic says to him because I've only seen the movie once. I want to try to see it again maybe this weekend, but. I forgot what he says to him, where eventually, like, Darth Vader just starts doing the force choke on him, which I was marking out for, and who knew Darth Vader was this witty, where he tells Krennic, don't choke on your aspirations, and then walks away, bro, and releases the hold. What a great moment, bro. Absolutely great moment. It was a fantastic moment. Uh, it was the best Darth Vader we've seen since Return of the Jedi, because we did not see, we have not seen Vader since then, since that movie. I don't care what Revenge of the Sith did. We have not seen Vader since that film. Uh, and that was the best we've seen him. And, and um, th that scene plus the really cool scene at the end, um, I think, was such fan service. If you really think about it, did it really need to be there? Probably not. Why not? But whatever. <laughs> it was awesome. Exactly. So then like, I, fully, I fully recognize that that scene was fan service, and I fully recognize that it did not was not essential to the plot, but it was cool and I liked it, and I'm I'm totally on board with it being in there. Exactly. And then after that scene, it, it cuts back to uh to Jin and her crew on the on a Cassian ship. Um, this is where Cassian gets his his one moment. So they track Galen to this Imperial like facility on the planet Eju. I think that's how you say it. And um. Cassian remembers his mission, you know, not, that he has he has to kill Galen, you know, and I think Jin kind of accuses them of, uh, of, like I think she knows something's up with him because I think she has a, she suspects that he's gonna try to pull something, so she basically kind of confronts him as like you know you, you really don't care about this, but she says something along those lines, and you know Cassian basically says you know I've been fighting this battle since I was six years old, you know the Empire took everything from me, my family. You know, I'm the only one left, so I'm going to fight, you know, till I die, essentially. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he tells her. That I I'm in it till the end. You know, I, of course I care about, about this mission. I care about the rebels. You know, I I'm going to do whatever it takes to stop them, you know, even if it's just me. So Cassian goes on his own because he knows that it, in order to complete his mission, he can't have Jin around with him. So, and then at that point, Jin kind of suspects it. She runs off to, uh, to kind of go after him. Uh, Cassian sees Galen because I think Krennic now goes to the facility to kind of meet with him because he knows now that Galen gave uh, gave Bodhi the uh, the message, but he wants to kind of make an example. So he goes like, you know, who gave the message, you know, to to that pilot, you know, and he accuses the scientists, you know, and he goes like, okay, if no one will admit it, I'm gonna kill all of you. So finally, Galen says like, it was me, you know, I'm the one that sent it. And Krennic, you know, kind of hearkening back to, you know, his snake-like kind of attitude, the way he was in the beginning of the film, he has all the scientists killed. That was a pretty badass moment from Krennic. Yeah, that, that was one of his, his – that was his most villainous moment in the film. Yes. Uh, that's, I think, whenever he, he does get a, a little bit of redemption uh, as far as the villain goes. Um, and, and I think maybe a lot of it had to do with uh, the fact that he was just so um, – just kind of – pushed down pushed down by both Tarkin and and, and and Vader that I think there is also a little bit you know story wise you could also see it as like a, well he needs to reassert his authority or whatever so it, it, it works it works I, I thought it was good it was a good scene 
I actually thought that whole sequence was, was, was pretty good. Yes, absolutely. And then while this is happening, Cassian kind of has Galen in, in his crosshairs trying to complete his mission, but he can't bring himself to do it. And then right when that happens, I think uh, I think they transmitted the, the location to the Rebels, and the Rebels send in a, a bombing raid. And then the, this big like kind of dogfight begins uh, around the, the Imperial facility. You know, the Rebels are shooting down stormtroopers or shooting down everybody that's at the facility. Got some TIE fighters coming in, and they start having a dogfight, which is awesome. Um, Galen, like, in, in, in the skirmish, Galen dies, and that really got to me, too. I mean, I, it got to me when Lyra died, and it got to me when Galen died, because this is a guy that was basically taking advantage of for this whole thing. Especially when you read Catalyst, you see basically this guy, all he wants to do is... You, this is a very brilliant scientist, brilliant researcher, and all he wants to do is he wants to be able to make a difference in the world. He wants to be able to, like, you know, make life better for the galaxy, essentially. So his special specialty in research was researching crystals. And when he found out about the Kuipers, you know, he was told by Krennic that this, you know, research he was doing was to be able to have this renewable sorts of energy that they can use to power cities and planets, you know. Um, and then he is... He was tricked. He was tricked by Krennic. You know, he was actually doing the research for the Death Star without without knowing. And he was, you know, very naive to trust, you know, Krennic and think that, you know, his research is going to go to something good. But that's just how he is. And then when he finally dies, bro, especially in Jin's arms, essentially, that, that was a very heartbreaking scene. Especially seeing, you know, everything that the guy went through, how he was basically betrayed by his friend, you know, and it was just very, very – that pull on the heartstrings, that was the beginning, bro. It was Lyra and now Galen dying. Uh, like you're you're in for an emotional ride here, but it was a, a great scene overall. Uh, it was a great scene overall. I did I really did like that that the point of the film. I, I was uh, uh the, I mean at this point the film had already picked up for me. I think after Jetta blew, I think the point when Jetta got blown up, it was after that point that I think I was fully on board with the film. Like once you got out of that segment, I was fully on board. I, I think everybody will point it to that that scene with Jetta as like the turning point. Like at, once Jetta blows up, it starts moving, bop, 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 bop. It's action scene <laughs> after action scene, you know, and it starts. That's when it gets really good. From, and there from was there was some there was some decently cool things before that, like when you had Donnie and and uh, and the uh, and Jin and and Cassian like take on the you know the um, help the insurgents of Jetta like take on the stormtroopers. That was a cool scene there too. Um, but in, in general, but the, that first act was still hit and miss. Uh, after Jedi was destroyed, I think after that point going forward, there was I didn't I I don't think that I found too many flaws in the film. I thought the rest of the film was really good. Uh, I, I like this scene uh, uh, on Iju, if that's how you say it, uh, a lot. Um, you know, with 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 Mads Mikkelsen's death, with Galen Urso's death, um, which is interesting because. Uh, he, he's he's a heroic figure in this film, and he's always. Which is, I'm so glad for Matt Mickelson because he's always playing a villain. He's like always the bad right? guy. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm glad that he finally got like a, a, a heroic. Role. He may have done other heroic movies. I'm not sure, but I mean, he's 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 in Casino Royale as a villain. He's in Doctor Strange as a villain. He's he's played Hannibal on TV. So like, I mean, he's always the bad guy. So I'm glad that he's got a. He's finally someone who's not who's not evil. Exactly. And Even though the rebellion thinks he's evil, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, great, great scene, great scene. And then, um, then you kind of go back to Yavin, and you know they're discussing essentially, okay, what do we do with, with you know, how do we, how do we attack the Empire, you know? So that's when Jin proposes to steal, like, 
from what Galen said in 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 the uh, in the message, you know, they need to steal the Death Star schematics. And there's a base on Scarif where the Empire holds all of their like secret information, with battle plans, you know, design plans. But I found kind of weird, you know, like all their like super important top secret documents are in this one place. You know, that was kind of weird. But um, um, so the rebels. Now here's where I, I, this kind of didn't make any sense to me. Like so the rebels, you know. They're like, okay, you know, we're outnumbered, we're outmatched, you know, we, we, I don't know if we could, they, how can we take the fight to them? You have Jin being like the lone person saying, you know, we gotta do this, you know, this, this is for, you know, we gotta get those Death Star plans. And like, the Rebels as a whole, even Jimmy Smith, bro, was like, we can't do it, you know, but there's no way we can do it. That, that felt very, like, un, uncharacter like for the Rebels. You feel like the Rebels, like, would do whatever it takes. But here you had to have Jin kind of convince them, and even that wasn't enough. She had to go on her own. Um. Yeah, but I think for the 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 what's the word I'm looking for the um um the the path of the character ne- that needed to happen for the you know what I mean. So like I, I I'm okay with it because from a story perspective, it makes sense for that character to be the one that has to convince everyone else. Right. So, um, so Jin kind of, you know, recruits the, the other members, uh, you know, uh, Cassie and K2SO, you know, Donnie N, Baze, uh, Bodhi, you know, they're all, they're all in. They take some of the, some other rebels that are like rebel troops that decide, you know, they, they want to go with them. They take some cannon fodder. Some cannon fodder. There you go. Perfect, perfect phrasing, by the way. They go to Scarif and, uh, Cassian and, uh, Jin disguises himself as Imperial officers. They take K2SO with them, and they infiltrate the uh, they infiltrate the Scarif base. At the same time, Bodhi sends a message to the rebels, you know that that they're there. So the rebels start sending, you know, the, the X-wings, the Y-wings. They start going down to essentially disable like the the shield that's over the planet Scarif, so they're able to to go in. Because once that shield, while that shield is still operational, they can't get in, and nobody can get out. So, the dogfight begins above Scarif, bro, and what was our favorite cameo here at this point? You gotta say it, man. Gold leader, standing by. Gold leader, bro. <laughs> that oh, was but, fucking awesome, bro. We, we, did miss, we did miss the C-3PO and R2-D2 cameo. They yes, got a cameo that's right. there, too. Yeah, so, they, so Anthony Daniels got his little line in. You know, he's on the avenue, like, we're going to Scarif. You know, wh- but, wh- why Why are we going there? Something like that, he says. So. But, what's, but what's funny is that you had Darth Vader in the film. You had C-3PO and R2-D2 in the film. And, you know, uh, at the end of the film, you had Princess Leia. Uh, and the biggest reaction in my theater was whenever you saw Gold Leader. He goes, Gold Leader, standing by. People <laughs> went nuts for it because it was such a – because it's such a callback to the a New Hope, and it's not—it's not. How do I put it? It's not like Gold Leader was a really important character in the in, in a New Hope. Uh, he was like you don't even know his name. His name's Gold Leader. Like, uh, it, but the fact that he's in there and it, like they use him and it's the same actor because I think they just use scenes that like uncut scenes from the um, from, from a New Hope. From New Hope. Um, it's this. It's just so entertaining that they paid that much attention to like, well, yeah, Gold Leader would still be around, so let's use Gold Leader. He's in there. Uh, I, 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 I wish we would have gotten a little Porkins in there as well. I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, why not, right? Um, exactly. That one was missing. Uh, yeah, we needed some porkins. Um, although we still got a fat guy dying. So um, <laughs> a fat <laughs> Asian, bro. The original original red five. He got, yeah, that. I, I, okay, now I pop for that, bros. The original red five. Because when I heard his, that he's like red five is standing by or whatever he said, and then I'm like red five. That's Luke, isn't it? In a new hope. Hmm. So he's probably gonna die. And then seeing him die, I don't. I don't like to say that I like seeing people die, but to see him die, I was like, yes. Because now Luke can be Red Five, right? So I was like, that was an awesome moment too, seeing Red Five. I the did, original I did Red really, Five. I did really enjoy that as well. But Gold Leader, the Gold Leader got a pop. I mean, I'm not even joking. He got a bigger pop than Vader, bigger pop than C3PO and RTD, the bigger pop than Leia. He got a and, and Tarkin. He got a big pop, and it was hilarious. And I think it's just because it was so unexpected, but yet so perfect for that scene. I, I it was, it, it was that was the I think the best bit of fan service in the film. Was throwing in Gold Leader, um, it, it, because you know what, Gold Leader didn't get his, his moment of uh, he didn't get his moment of, of triumph in, in A New Hope, but he gets it here, you know. So uh, I, I did appreciate that. I, I, they should have brought that pork in them, man. They should have put him in there. Yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah. The one thing that was missing, bro. I agree as far as you no know, A New Hope callbacks that that star battle, but um, and so, you know Porkins, you know a little bit of a tangent here. You know Porkins was uh, in Indiana Jones and in Batman, right? Really? Oh, wait, wait. Porkins was uh, uh, Eckhart, right? Porkins was Eckhart and Batman. Batman, and was, yes. And in Raiders, he was one of the government guys that uh, that um, that convinced uh, Indiana Jones to go on the mission in the first place. Uh, and at the end, he's like, we've got top men on it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That, that's Porkins. That's awesome. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, to kind of like fast forward a little bit, like through the film. So the there's a dogfight above Scarif, you know. There's a ground battle, you know, with Rogue One and all the other rebel troops against the Empire. And then you have Jin casting trying to get the Death Star plans out of there. So they have to realign the satellites so when the shield generator goes down, they're able to transmit the plans off the planet. You know, they had, you know, Krennic meets them on, like, the platform. They had this big skirmish. Krennic, sh- uh, not Krennic, uh, Cassian shoots Krennic before he can kill Jin. Um, they realign the satellite. Um, and then that's when uh, the Death Star shows up above Scarif. And you have the the infamous "You may fire when ready" from Tarkin. He fires at the base, bro. But you know, right before this, one by one, everybody starts getting cut down. You know, poor Donnie Yen gets killed. That that was a that was a huge huge moment. You know, uh, Baze gets killed after that. You know, he kind of goes into rage mode like Tony Montana did. He kind of just starts shooting anything that moves until he's finally cut down. You know, and then uh, Bodhi gets blown up when uh, one of the stormtroopers throws a bomb into the uh, into the the ship and he dies. You know, K2SO, we talked about earlier, gets cut down by stormtroopers trying to protect Jin and Cassian. Um, so once they finally realign the satellite and transmit the plants, um, you know, the Death Star fires onto the base of Scarif, and it destroys the whole place. Krennic is on the platform, and it, hit, like, it hits right on the platform, so Krennic gets blown up, essentially, when the when the ray hits him. And then uh, it, it starts this whole big chain reaction. Everything's getting destroyed. Jin and uh, and um, and Cassie know their time is up, so they you know they say you know they they're, they're proud of each other. They did this you know for the cause. You know they they give each other a hug and then they're dead. And then uh, Admiral Akbar's father, whoever the hell that guy is, you know says you know Rogue One made the Force be with you. And then and that's that. That's that's the end of uh that's that's the end of that team. You know that very very emotional moment here. Yeah, so a couple of things I wanted to, to, to touch on it here. Um, I thought that the entire, um, I thought that the entire 
last act of the film where they're on on Scarif and they're they're getting the plans. Amazing. Uh, was very well paced, very well directed, a great action sequence, lots of tension. You built up, and even though you know the end of A New Hope, you know, or you know how the beginning of A New Hope, you know how they, you know how the movie technically has to end. Um, it's the the journey they take you on is so good because even though you kind of assume they're gonna die, you don't know for sure they're gonna die. So you do get kind of a, a um, you do get a uh, um, uh, nervous for these characters because unlike other prequels, where like if you watch the original prequels and you, you see Obi Wan and he anytime Obi Wan is in peril, you're like, well, he's fine because he's in another movie, so he's he's gonna be okay. You know, anytime you saw Anakin, you know, in peril, you're like, well, he's gonna be fine because he's not Darth Vader yet and he has to become Darth Vader. So like it, it, it's one of those things where like you, it's not. Um, it, when you watch prequels, a little bit of the tension is taken out of it. But with this one, since you don't know these characters, the tension was there. So uh, I, and it was very well directed. Uh, it was very well directed action. It was very well directed as far as you know, thrilling, you know, suspense and everything like that. Um, they they certainly took a lot of beats that were like, of course that's going to happen now. Like you know, uh, so whenever like you know the the power goes out and they actually have to go in and grab the tape out of the thing and they have to climb up to the thing and of course the the satellites out of out of alignment and all this other stuff right so uh that that was cool and then of course Bodhi has to like run a cable across to connect to the thing and you know of course all these things have to happen to make it work right um right. but it was still very well directed um i, I was very upset about uh, k2so's death as i said before i thought he had a great heroic death uh, Donnie Yen, I am one with the force. The force was me. I am one with the force. The force was me. Uh, that that's such a great, great, because he's not a Jedi, right? He's just someone who like he's like a he's like one of those like believers, like force believers. Yeah, he's a force believer. He's not actually a Jedi, and and I thought that was such a great scene. He's great heroic death for him. Uh, it, it, uh, Bodhi had a good heroic death. Like everyone, everyone on the team, whether they had good character development or not, had a good final uh, ending to them. Um, and uh, and then yeah, then you had, and then the last what, four or five minutes where it is directly like two or three minutes right before our new hope begins begins, where it's literally like okay, there's there's the uh, there's the uh, uh, there's the starship that the that the princess Leia's on. You don't see her yet, but you know that's it. You can see it because you recognize it from the opening crawl of of, of the original Star Wars. Yep. Uh, there's Vader getting on the thing and he's killing all these rebel soldiers yeah, in we'll, the most we'll, badass we'll, yeah, scene. We'll, yes, we're gonna get to that too. Okay. No, no, but, but, so, yeah. I, but I, what I wanted to say though, before we kind of get into the the final like two minutes uh, of the film, um, what I really liked and I agree with everything you said about about the the, the third act, the, especially the the scenes on Scarab. What I really got from it was I this really felt like a classic war film, you know, not, not, you know, I mean, we're used to seeing like Star War the way Star Wars depicts them, but this felt like one of those like classic war films in, in the vein of like Saving Private Ryan, Bataan, Platoon, all these classic, classic war films, you know, the way these scenes were structured was kind of more of, of a homage to that as well. Like seeing like, you know, a, something like Saving Private Ryan in the Star Wars universe or Bataan in the Star Wars universe. And that really like, that really helped enhance the quality for me too because I really – those are some of my favorite war movies and I could feel like the spirit of those movies on those Scarif scenes. And I think that it really like enhanced like just the experience for me too because you – it was really – it was like real – like 
realistic warfare. I, I, I hate to say it like that, but like that's the best way I can describe it, like realistic warfare. And then seeing everybody get cut down like the, the like the way like, you know, the soldiers would get cut down in platoon and in baton, you know, it was like it was pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, and it, it did put the, the wars of Star Wars, uh, which is something that not every film does, uh, not every Star Wars film does, but this one definitely took advantage of that war concept and, and really put it out there. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I thought it was pretty awesome. Right, right. And uh, I think it's funny, too, like these Imperial Death Troopers seem to be like expert marksmen. You know, like where are they on the Death Star? You know, that's- uh, you know, I do have to say that I do have to, there's the nerd in me has to, has to kind of call them out on this is like, why aren't they in the rest of the saga? Like, why are why are they only in this one part? Like, they could have used them on the Death Star, like whenever Luke and and Han and Obi Wan are running around. And they would have been done, bro. Yeah, like it, it, like why didn't they use them there? But yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's the nerd in me, the nerd in you, kind of coming out saying, "Where the hell were these Imperial Death Troopers during the original trilogy?" But whatever, bro. So the tra- the plans get transmitted to, to the to the Rebel ship, and the Rebel ship escapes. Um. So Darth Vader tracks them. He's he's able to get on the ship, bro. And right from the beginning, when you see like the the rebel troops like in that same like costume that they were at the beginning of A New Hope, I'm starting to mark out. And then all of a sudden it goes dark. The lights go out. There's like a fucking horror movie. And all you see in like two seconds is the red glow of the lightsaber turning on. Fucking Darth Vader starts cutting up motherfuckers left and right. He levit he force levitates this guy onto the ceiling. And cuts him in half as he passes by. It is just oh, probably my favorite, favorite part of the film. And I hate to say it because it's such a good film, but it's at least the most memorable part of this movie. Darth Vader is basically being a badass and cutting up motherfuckers left and right. Yeah, that that, that was uh, that was one of the that was probably the coolest moment in the film. I mean, it, and it, it involved like you know calling back everything from another film. But uh, and it, and it was it, it, they faked me out a little bit too because like when you see him come in and I'm like oh they're kind of redoing the beginning like I thought that was like because at the very beginning of a new hope you see you see him come in and, and like you know choke this guy and says if this is an ambassadorship where is the ambassador you know all that I thought that's what they were redoing but it's actually before that like so I thought they he so they faked me out a little bit because I thought we were just gonna get that scene again um, but instead you got. You know, you got the um, uh, you got that really cool battle sequence, which is absolutely masturbatory fan service. Like there, there's no reason for that. I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome to watch, but like it was clearly like, here you go, guys, here you go. Um, and it, and it was so cool to watch. Uh, and, and again, it, it really built up the tension with them trying to get that that data tape out to, to the different people. And you know, again, you know they're going to get to it because you know the Princess Leia has it in the beginning. But it's still like it's the very it's still they, they the guy just gets it out in time and they you know they eventually yeah I think he pierces the lightsaber through him and through the door bro it just missing the other guy that had the plans so yeah. that was a great moment too so he gets the 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 disc I guess let's just call it a disc so she gets the disc to the uh, to the Tana four like the Tana four goes into hyperspace before Darth Vader can get into it but eventually you know they catch up you know maybe about fifteen minutes later to them but uh. Darth Vader misses. He looks out into space like he's pissed off. He just missed them. You know, the guy brings the uh, I think Captain Antilles. He gets the Captain Antilles, and he brings it to this person all dressed in white. Uh, and we're starting like, oh my god, it can't be. And what? And you see ca- fucking young Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia again using the CGI technology to use for Tarkin. You know, 
And then now, he, I think she wasn't as good as Tarkin. Like, there was something really? off about her. You yeah, I think she was good? not quite as good as Tarkin. Really? Interesting. I thought they were both equally good. But uh, he, he brings the disc to uh, to Princess Leia. You know, he, he, you know, she's like, you know, what is on this disc? And then she turns to the camera. She says, hope. And then you have the credits at the end of the movie, which is, I mean, the theme, the whole theme of the movie is hope. And perfect that Princess Leia is the one who basically, you know, got, gets the last line in. But, you know, great movie. Loved it. Loved it. You know, of course, because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I loved all the little, like, Easter eggs they threw in. Huge fan service. You're absolutely right on that. Um, and just one of those... Probably the most satisfying ending to a movie like I've seen all year. Yeah, I mean it was absolutely like really freaking satisfying to, to, to that how it exactly built into it, and like you can totally um, watch that movie and immediately watch A New Hope like literally seconds afterwards and it, into a seamless transition. Uh, I really and you know oh you know what something we didn't mention. Here's what, something I, I actually really enjoyed a lot, not necessarily in uh, in in uh, Jin, but in a lot of the other characters, the human characters, they had haircuts that would that would look uh, somewhat in place in the 1970s, you know. Yeah. Uh, so so that bridges that gap. Oh, you know? Diego Luna especially too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Diego Luna did. Uh, I think Mads Mikkelsen did. You know. Um, not all of them. Some of them did have modern haircuts, but 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 it still at least was like you know what? Oh, the uh, general General Draven, I think his name is uh, <laughs> Captain like, Draven, bro. Captain Draven. <laughs> uh, and like he we had fun like, with that for a couple of days too. <laughs> he looked like he walked out of a 1970s movie, right? So like it, it really worked well um, to blend to to blend the two movies together because because uh, one thing I hate uh, one thing I hate is whenever movies you know like. One thing I hate about the prequels is that like it didn't it just didn't look like that took place before uh, New Hope. It looked right. always just looked like it too, too new clean and, and too new. Yeah, and, and but the but I, I did like that that it does it does look a lot uh, that he did, that they paid that much attention to detail. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, to kind of wrap up a uh, Rogue One, I do want I kind of want to ask you this question. Um, in my written review, I kind of said that um. Because it's 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 a probably the most unique Star Wars film ever made up to this point, in the fact that it's made very different than the previous films. And I, as I mentioned earlier, it, you know, there's a huge like war aspect, you know, in this movie, kind of that harkens back to the old World War II movies and you know other war movies that have been made. Um, so in that aspect, I kind of said like, if you're not a fan of Star Wars, sure, you're gonna miss a lot of the Easter eggs that kind of enhance the experience. But I feel that like they could still be an effective gateway movie. So if you want to, if there, you have that one friend who's never seen Star Wars, I think Rogue One would be a a good way to start to kind of lead them directly into A New Hope. Do you agree with that, or do you think this is more for like once they've seen the other six films, then they can see Rogue One? You know, people always talk about um, you know what order should you watch the Star Wars movies in, which are the prequels or, or then the. And then the original saga, or the original saga, and then the prequels, and then there's that the one the one theory that you should go, oh, you should watch four or five, and then see the backstory one, two, three before you see six. Uh, I think honestly is the best best the uh, best way to watch them is ignore all the prequels, and then just watch uh, Rogue One, and then the three, and and then four, five, six, and seven. I, I think Rogue One is enough of a good prequel that you you don't need to see the other three. Yes, you don't get Anakin's backstory, but whatever. Like it's just, it, 
I, I hate I hate that backstory anyway. So uh, <laughs> I, I think you can watch Rogue One first before you watch A New Hope. I think it works. I think it works. Before, yeah, you can watch them. Obviously, we watched the original saga before we watched this one, so obviously it still works uh, because you you have those mark out moments. But um, but again, we've also been living it for with it for decades, so we we had those mark out moments like Gold Leader and stuff like that. But I think that for a new viewer, like if you want to show it to your kids, I think you can start with Rogue One. I think that would work. I mean, for kids, obviously, but like I, I was thinking more, especially like with adults, like who. I've never seen Star Wars before and aren't really used to that to those movies. You know, Rogue One is enough of like a a, a different Star Wars movie. You know, it's more in line with like an old war movie that you know it could kind of pass their litmus test to kind of get them into at least the saga and be like, okay, after Rogue One, you can go right into A New Hope. You know, so I feel like this is a very effective gateway movie. Whether you know you're a kid, you're showing your son or your daughter your Star Wars for the first time, or if you have have an adult friend who's never seen it and kind of want to get him into it. Like Rogue One is enough – it's enough of an amalgamation of all these great movies that, you know, it could kind of get them in the door at least. Yeah, I would agree with that. So uh, anyway, um, any final thoughts of maybe something you wanted to talk about Rogue One that we didn't get to or something else you want to mention before we wrap it up? Uh, one thing we didn't mention, um, we didn't get the uh, Star Wars opening crawl. Yeah, film. that was disappointing. That was probably uh, like, the, like as far as like this like you know kind of old school stuff like oh like normal Star Wars aspects or markout moments or Easter eggs. The opening crawl was something that was dearly missed here. I really wish they could have maybe reconsidered that, but I mean it yeah, is what it is. And I and I and then we didn't get the John Williams score, um, which right. we got the Michael Gian, Giancino score, I think, yes. which is fine. It was fine, uh, but it was not memorable. Like I I couldn't even. I can't even think. It, it had some notes of, of the John Williams score in it, but it was still kind of more or less an original score. I I was not a fan of it, um, to be honest. Um, and when I say I wasn't a fan of it, it's not that I hated it. It's just that it was just very, a very neutral on it. I didn't really think of it one way or the other. Um, whereas this, the the original Star Wars score is very iconic, and I just we didn't get anything iconic, which is a little disappointing. And a little disappointing you getting didn't get the opening crawl. So um, that that I think that was an an interesting choice to do that. I, I, maybe and maybe that's what they're going to do with their with their spinoff films, like the Han Solo film or the much talked about Boba Fett film. Uh, maybe that's how they're going to do it. They're not going to do the the opening crawl, but I, I wish they'd reconsider. I agree. I agree on that. Maybe like when maybe if enough people like you know get them to do it, they'll probably for the Blu-ray release they'll probably just throw it in there, you know, which would be cool. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the soundtrack list here, and I mean, uh, there's quite a few that are original compositions but a lot of them have like you know little snippets of john williams score like there's there's one here that includes the force theme by john williams it includes the imperial march by john williams so like a lot like more than half of the soundtrack like is not a completely original like work it's gonna have some aspect of the john williams you know score but i mean it, that was kind of unavoidable though you know if you're gonna have like star wars you're gonna have some you're gonna have john williams in it you know even if it's a little bit or if it's a lot so I guess that was like unavoidable at that point. Yeah, and and, we, and some of you may have like been you know following the the stuff on Rogue One. I mean, I'm sure Dean knew that there was not going to be a, a an opening crawl because he'd been following this stuff. Uh, I like to not I like to go into movies fresh without any spoilers or anything, so I didn't know that was coming, uh, and it was a little disappointing when I saw it. But oh well. Yeah, it kind of just jumped right into it, and it, it you know that's. Uh, and of, everyone in the theater was kind of like that too. By the way, everyone in the theater was like, "Oh, we're starting." 
They, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because you still got the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You still got that, but it you you just then jump from that point. You just jump right into uh, right into the story. Yeah, it's a minor quibble, but right. it, I, I wish that they would reconsider that. Um, and and also the score, bringing back the score too, because uh, Mike Michael Giancino did a fine job, but he didn't do like it's not it's not a Star Wars theme, so yeah. I wanted that back. It, it's weird because like everything, even like the freaking uh, the audio books, even the video games have opening crawls in them. So like, why couldn't this movie have a freaking opening crawl? Star Wars Rogue Squadron, bro. The old N64 game, which is a classic, by the way. It was hard as balls, but it was it's a classic. That had, like, five opening crawls in it, bro. Like, because, ev- like, every at every chapter of the game, there was an opening crawl. So that game had five fucking opening crawls. It was a video game. So, like, you couldn't just put this one in? Like, come on, bro. Like, but, yeah, it, it's a minor nitpick compared to, like, how great the film was. But, but still, like, just the nerd in me, like, I, I was like, oh, that sucks. There's no opening crawl, but whatever. I was I wanted to hear that opening theme, you know, like at the beginning. You know, that's what I was looking forward to. I, I didn't get that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, so that's pretty much our take of Rogue One. Anything else you want to talk about as far as the film that we may have missed? Um, no, I think we got everything there. I mean, we we did cover pretty extensively. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so that's going to do it for Rogue One and, by extension, for Suspective Episode 87. Any questions, comments, feedback, just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SportsGuy515, and you can follow the show on Twitter at FPMoviePodcast. Um, Adolfo, actually, before we get into plugs, um, this is our last show of 2016. We made it up to 87 episodes here. Um Hopefully, you know, maybe we can kind of get on a more consistent schedule. We could actually hit number 100 um, in 2017. I know, uh, I think uh, K Fabulous Lucha Brothers just recorded their 100 episodes. So a big congratulations to them on getting to 100. Um, that's my goal for 2017 for us to get to episode number 100, and that's going to be a huge, huge party. Um, but uh, 2016 is in the books at this point now. So. We usually don't get into our big, you know, 2016 retrospectives until around Oscar time because by that time we've seen all the big 2016 releases, the big Oscar contenders. But um, from what you've seen so far, you know, the second to last week of December, um, what do you remember most film-wise about 2016? Because, I mean, overall 2016 was a shitty-ass year. But, I mean, as far as the movies, like, there are some good aspects. And what are yours off the top of your head, Adolfo? Good aspects? Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know because I, I feel like I haven't had – I feel like it's still too too early. I know it's, we're saying this in this mid-December to talk about the good stuff uh, quite yet. Um, there were – I mean as far as films that I, that I enjoyed, uh, the, 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 there, was, there was a lot that I enjoyed. I didn't think there was any specific theme to that. I thought – you know what? Here's a good aspect. Uh, I thought this was a decent year for genre movies. Um, there, there's a lot of good genre movies as far as horror, especially in the horror and sci-fi with, uh, uh, with Rogue One, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Deadpool, Civil War, uh, Fantastic Beasts, uh, Doctor Strange, um, Conjuring. Like the, there were a lot of really good genre movies out this year, uh, that I, that I really did enjoy. Um, I, I can't say much for the blockbuster. The blockbuster had a terrible year this year, I think. Yes. Uh, it was, summer was what was one of the worst ones in recent years. 
yeah, it was a very, very poor year as far as um, as far as the blockbusters go. But I think genre movies in general were really good. Um, oh, Arrival! I forgot about Arrival. Arrival is one of the Arrival best films here. Um, uh, but yeah, as far I mean that that's the one takeaway I have so far. Um, uh, is that we had a, this was a good year for genre movies. I have not quite gotten into all of the um, the Oscar-y kind of movies yet. Uh, but, but, I mean, this is the kind of time, this part of the year when they start to come out. So I'll be I'll be trying to spend the next uh, two or three, like two months or so before the Oscars, uh, just trying to catch up on everything that uh, that's Oscar worthy, uh, just so I have more informed opinion for my my year end list. But um, yeah, that, that's pretty much what I have there. Yeah, I mean, there was some good aspects. Rogue One, for example, like we just talked about. I loved Captain America Civil War, one of the better blockbusters. Probably the best blockbuster of, like, the summer months because the summer was uh, pretty much a dud. Um, I loved Doctor Strange. It's a great movie. Fantastic Beast I I thoroughly enjoyed. And then you had, like, the little films. Like, Arrival was excellent. I loved Edge of 17. You know, there was some some good aspects of, uh, of 2016. You know, but overall, you know, you kind of just have to look back on it and kind of be like kind of ho-hum. You know, it, it wasn't the best year. You know, it wasn't really that strong of a year movie-wise, but, you know, there were some little gems. You know, I did see La La Land. I love La La Land. Right now is my favorite movie of the year. That might change in the next couple of weeks when I start seeing more of these Oscar films. But uh, right now it's like La La Land and then Rogue One is my number two, I think. Just out of just, you know, just emotional, emotional like my favorite one of the year. Not, not so much like whether it's well-made or whatnot. Right now, it's just, like, just emotionally my favorite one, La La Land, and then followed by Rogue One. So that's, I think you should start with that one before you get into any of the other ones. Um, I I know Silence, which is Martin Scorsese's latest, is coming out, I think, in Limited this week. I do plan on trekking into New York to catch that one over the weekend. I'm very excited about that one because I love Marty Scorsese. Um, and then you had, like, the other little films, like, for example, War Dogs I did love. I love Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe was a great fucking movie. Don't Breathe was good, as well as uh, Green Room. Green Room was also quite excellent. Yes, absolutely. Um, Magnificent Seven, I thought was a great film. You know, not the best, but like it was a, a very was a good action, a- film. action film. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so like you, like you had little gems here and there, but like on an overall ho hum year. Like biggest disappointments, of course, like Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad. Those are big. Killing Joke was also kind of a disappointment. Independence Day. Uh, <laughs> the less said about that, the better, bro. Because that was a huge disappointment on my end, bro. That, that, Blair that Witch. really broke my heart. Blair, Blair Witch. Yeah, that was a bad one too. Uh, even even though I was there wasn't a, I wasn't necessarily personally looking forward to this one. The hype behind it was really big. The Girl on the Train was a big disappointment. That was kind of a disappointment too, as well. Yes. Ghostbusters exactly. was not great. Um, although, and, but there were some surprises like Ouija, Origin of Evil. Never ever thought in a million years that I would like that film, but. It was good. It was a good film. I really, really enjoyed that movie. Um, uh, and I think a movie that was underrated this year was Hail Caesar. I think nobody really paid attention yeah, to that. Really, yeah, exactly. But I, I love that film. I think it's going to stick in my top ten for the year. I, I really, really enjoyed that film. I thought it was excellent. Um, but it, it's one of those, it, you know, it just didn't, it just kind of went nowhere. Um, and it was also released at the beginning of the year, so like maybe people didn't really uh, see it. Um you know, I did talk about the genre films, the the the, the smaller ones that I didn't mention. Don't breathe, Green Room, uh, Hush, which is on Netflix. Hush was a great a little genre movie. Um, and um, 
Oh, you know what? I did catch up with the caught up with uh, the Neon Demon recently, which was ah. uh, Swinning Reference's uh, latest film. Um, that 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 was very uh, very uh, divisive. You know, because I've seen it, people it, review it, give it like one star. You know, and other people love it. So, like, just very briefly, like, what you think? You need to watch. I think you need to watch it more than once. I've only watched it once, but I think I need to watch it again to fully, fully appreciate it. I'm gonna say this: it's not as whole. Like I hated Only God Forgives. I hated it. Um, I could not stand that film. It is not that. Uh, it is a lot better than that. It has. It actually has a narrative. Uh, although the last fifteen to twenty minutes, it kind of goes into David Lynch kind of territory, <laughs> uh, where you're just like, "What is going on exactly?" Um, but it's still. Uh, I will give the movie is it is it is much better. It's more enjoyable, and it's certainly a. Um, I, I can I, I appreciate more with what he's doing here than I did with it only God forgives. And uh, one thing that it will I will say about this movie is that it is absolutely gorgeous to look at. I mean the cinematography is on point in that film. So um, it, it's not for if you are the kind of person that does not um, that only goes to movies for just pure escapism entertainment. Do not watch the Neon Demon. Yes. If you're a little more into the um, if you're willing, a little more open-minded, willing, and more into experimental or art films, then it, you, I would give it a shot um, because it is, it's, 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 it's something. I'm not quite sure where I've made up my mind on it yet, but it's, it's something. Uh, it's at least pretty to look at. So it's very well, it's very well, it's a very good-looking film. Mm. Um, so that, that, that's my two cents. That's my little mini review on that one. I'm wondering. I'm a little afraid to, to watch it. And I'll, I'll say this only because. Um... You know, I'm mentioning, you know, it's 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 more of a like a genre art film. You know, it's beautiful to look at. That's exactly what uh, Under the Skin was, and I didn't like it. So, is it something I did like along it. those lines? It's I don't think it's as inaccessible as Under the Skin, but it's um, I did love it Under the Skin though. Um, it's not quite. I'd say it's somewhere between. Uh, Hmm. It's more like under the skin, like it, than it is drive. If you if you want to use oh, that, gotcha. you know. oh gotcha. Oh yeah, that, but, that's actually. But good. it's not yeah. quite under the skin, in my opinion. Okay, okay, that's a little more promising. So I, I will try to actually check. It. I don't know if it's on Netflix or not, but if not, I'll see if I can track it down somewhere. Uh, it is a gorgeous film, though. It is actually really quite pretty to look at. Yes. Um, but that's my little mini review for that one. Um, yeah, it so far. I mean, I I I, I think um. The 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 big blockbuster movies were were disappointing, but the smaller, uh, except for Rogue One and um, except for Rogue One and uh, Civil War, uh, and and, and little, even Star Trek Beyond was pretty and good. Doctor like, Strange, just throw that. In Doctor, there. Oh yeah, yeah. Doctor, forgot about Doctor Strange. Like those were the good ones, uh, but the rest of them were kind of eh. Deadpool. I don't really count on that because it became a blockbuster, but it wasn't really intended to be a blockbuster because exactly. it was. It did not have the, the it had a February the, release, bro. Like, yeah, it had a February release, and it had, did not have the money behind it. That was a good surprise that it was good. Um, but for the most, so now I'm just kind of waiting on like the the prestige movies. I haven't gotten into any of those yet. So uh, talk to me in about a month or so. And we'll see where we are there. But um, um, oh, you know the other movie I saw was Zootopia. I thought that was actually really really good. Oh, I still have to see that one. I heard it's really awesome. Actually, it's really good. Um, so far, it's 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 probably the best animated movie I've seen of the year. Um, I have not caught up with Moana, which I've also heard is really good. So Disney is hitting out of the park apparently this year. And they also had 
Finding Dory, which is okay. Um, but I mean, I mean, think about this though. Think about this. Zoot, so Disney owns Pixar, Disney owns Marvel, and Disney owns Star, uh, Star Wars. Disney in 2016 released Zootopia, Rogue One, Civil War, uh, Finding Dory, Doctor Strange. Um, am I missing any other ones? And Moana. And yeah. all those movies made a ton of money. So it's a good time to be a Disney stockholder right now. Absolutely. <laughs> Plus all the money that – because, I mean, if you remember, uh, Force Awakens was released in December of last year, but it still kept making money in January and February. January, yeah. So uh, plus all that money too. So Oh, and the Jungle Book, and they made the Jungle Book too, and that made yes, a ton of money. That's so, true. Uh, this, is a good, this is a good year for Disney. This is a very good year for Disney. That's putting it lightly. <laughs> but um, yeah, and another little film I want to shout out to was uh, Nocturnal Animals. That was actually a pretty good film. Um, I did I did enjoy it as well. I did have a, a written review for that. Hopefully that will make the airwave soon. Um, but I want to talk about that more. I, I want to kind of catch up with the, the tail end of 2016 on our next episode, which is going to be our first of 2017. kind of want to do play a little catch-up. You know, we'll do that. I'll talk about that one. We'll talk about La La Land. Hopefully you've seen it by then. Um, Office Christmas Party we'll kind of talk briefly about. Um, I also caught a uh, – I'll do a little brief review here. I caught an advanced screen of Why Him? With Brian Cranston and James Franco coming out this Friday, actually, or actually as of this recording, it's probably out by now. Um, it just very briefly, it's very very stupid story. Some of it nonsensical, but it is very funny. Way funnier than Office Christmas Party was. I laughed my ass off. You know, Brian Cranston, James Franco have great chemistry together. Um, so if you know you got a couple bucks to spare, you you're into comedies. You know, you you feel like having a good laugh. I would definitely check out Why Him. It's actually very 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 funny and you know what it, it, even though the story was stupid you know you go into comedy because you want to laugh and i laughed my ass off here so i would give this one a chance so that's my mini review on that i'll get more into depth hopefully in the next episode but that's my mini review of that movie definitely go check it out all right i i'm i'm i, I it's not going to be on the top of my list but i right. might check it out yeah, like if you have some like you have a day to kill and you have you know a couple bucks laying around that you want to Go to the movies, definitely. I, I, it wouldn't hurt to see that. It's a nice little popcorn comedy, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, one. You know what? One thing we didn't talk about was the Blade Runner uh, trailer. Oh, I just saw it today. As of we're recording, I saw it earlier in the day at work, and I was just like, I, I marked out when I saw fucking Harrison. When I saw Deckard, bro. I'm like, holy shit! And then Ryan Gosling is like his replacement or some shit, and. I, and it's from the same guy, Denny Villa, whatever. Denny Villa, <laughs> no, Villa from Arrival. Uh, he did Arrival. From he did Arrival, Prisoners. Yeah. Prisoners, yeah. So I'm very excited about that one. Very excited. What did you think of it? Um, um, the trailer. I thought it looked good. I, I, I do want. I, I want that Vangelo score, man. I want him to do that score for that movie, though. Yes. Yes. Oh my. I, I, I can't wait for that one, man. But uh. Uh, but that's uh, pretty much it. Looking back on 2016, you know, as strictly you know the film aspect, you know, kind of ho hum year, but you know a few standout gems that we, we showed some love for on this show. Um, but other than that, you know, 2016 can kind of kiss my ass. You know, fuck 2016, as John Oliver said pretty nicely a couple weeks ago. Oh my god! I mean, if you watch the uh, so every year Turner Classic Movies does like their in memoriam thing for 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 the year. 
It's always better than the Oscars one. The Oscars one sucks, but the the Turner Classic Movie one is really good. And just watching it, watching their video this year, it's like, oh my god! How many albums left, this bro? Prince, David Bowie, Alan Rickman, Gene Wilder. I mean, that's just to name a few. Like, it's just like, oh my god, what a kick the dick this year was. Yeah, man, it's just the the sooner we for, we we close twenty sixteen, the better, you know. I'm definitely gonna be partying on New Year's Eve, you know, this year because, uh, you know, next year we may not have a country anymore. So it's mm-hmm. like, uh, let's just get the partying done while we still can. Um, so that's my take on that. But uh, any final words to the to the good people, to the good listeners before we leave for the rest of the year? Uh, I would like to toss them over to my uh, other podcast, um, the uh, Essential Films podcast uh essentialpostpodcast.com uh, you can find us on iTunes um and on our last episode we talked about uh our last two episodes we talked about Calm with the Wind and It's a Wonderful Life so uh make sure It's a Wonderful Life dropping just in time for Christmas Calm with the Wind came out about a week or two ago uh both classic movies i think we had a lot of fun recording those so uh please download and uh listen to those yes yes so uh Gone with the Wind It's a Wonderful Life Great episodes. We had great discussion there. Um, definitely, definitely check those out. Um, you can also check out the previous episode. We did Fantastic Beasts. Um, Arrival we talked about on that episode. So definitely check that out. And, uh, again, I just want to give a shout-out to our boys, you know, Big D, Draven, for the Game Fabulous Lucha Brothers, their 100th episode. Uh, by the time this drops, it should already be on the air. So definitely check that out. And shout another shout-out to them. You know, big congratulations for episode number 100. And like I said already – That'll be our goal for uh, for 2017. We're going to make it to episode number 100. Very excited about that. Um, any other final words before we get out of here? Uh, nope. Good to go. All right. Hasta la vista 2016. With that, on behalf of Adolfo, I'm Sports Life 515. Thank you so much for joining us, for supporting the show. Um, and until next time, we are out of here. See you next year, folks.